Good morning. How y'all doing? I hope your Sunday's gone as good as mine has so far. I got to play drums with my friends, and now I get to open God's Word, share it with you guys, friends also. So this is about as good as it gets for me, I'll be honest. Um, and man, I love the ending of that song that we just sang. To tell the world of the hope we've found, that's something that we're definitely going to talk about this morning. Um, so anyways, yeah, I hope you're doing well this Sunday morning. It's beautiful outside. I don't plan on keeping us too long. It's been a great start to summer, what we've been doing, um, <clears throat> what we're doing here at Providence, I think. While our regular teaching pastor, if you're, if you're new or maybe visiting, while our regular teaching pastor is on a much-deserved sabbatical this month, uh, it gives us a great opportunity for the elders and myself to, to do something really cool. If you weren't here with us last week, Ben got us started with his version of, if I could tell you one thing. And it was certainly a powerful morning. I know I appreciated it. Uh, each of us are going to get the opportunity to share with you one message. Uh, just one, <laughs> which is uh, definitely, like he said, it's been, it's been much more difficult than I anticipated it to be. I've really had to kind of pare down what it is I would say. Um, and it's always great to hear from different people to get sort of different aspects of the gospel that kind of set people off. Um, so I hope you'll be here these next few weeks to, to hear these guys speak and talk. You know, you, you may be kind of used to hearing me ramble on and, and, and talk, but especially for the elders, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for you guys to get to know their hearts. And so I hope you'll be here. Um, one shot, one shot to, 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 to talk to you. What would I say? It's been... Like I say, it's, it's been a process to kind, of, to kind of think through that. The pressure is on. I, I feel like I need to get some bang for my buck. And so I'm going to go to a well-known story this morning. I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 26 in just a minute. So go ahead and start turning there if you want to. Get comfortable. We won't really move much when we get there. Um, this is a, it's a text you may be familiar with. But before I start, I want to ask a question. Uh, I want to ask you a question to begin. Of all the people here in this room, and there, there are several of us, there aren't two of us in exactly the same place spiritually. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different stories to tell. So no two of us are exactly the same. Jesus says that the gate is narrow that leads to life, but the road to get there is long and it's oftentimes hard. So, my question is this, how did you become a Christian? If you are a follower of Jesus, how? How did it happen? That may sound like an odd question, but I want us to think critically about that for just a few minutes. If you're a Christian today, someone told you the good news about Jesus. It's like Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you can't call on someone you've never heard of. So maybe the question instead of how should be who? Who? Because someone told you at some point. Chances are someone prayed for you, invested in you, and walked with you as God was drawing you to himself. Now, I don't doubt that you know, some people pick up a Gideon's Bible in a, in a random hotel somewhere, and they start reading it, and the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work, and that person, you know, comes to faith in Christ. I know that happens, but more often than not, 
Becoming a Christian is the end of a, a long process and really the start of an even longer one that involves a lot of people. So have that in the back of your head this morning. How did I get from there to here? Wherever here is, how did I get there? Who helped me? You know, we just celebrated Mother's Day a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And it was, it was cool for me to get to celebrate Kristen's first Mother's Day, even though, uh, you know, we won't be welcoming our baby boy until November. I expected some clapping. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that was my way of, uh, of just telling everybody all at once. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that won't be until November. But I love, I, the, the best part about Mother's Day for me uh, here at church is baby dedications. We usually do one on Mother's Day. And those are always fun, I think. Uh, maybe a little hectic for sure, but it's, it's, just, it's a special time for all of us. Um, and I think, you know, the last batch we just had might have been the cutest we've had. And that's saying a lot. If you know our church, we've, there's one thing we do well, it's babies. So, <laughs> you know, but seeing, it's, but seeing the parents up here, you know, just beaming with joy, or maybe that's fear that the, the kid will freak out. I don't know. It's just seeing them up here, you know, the, par- the, the family usually inhabits this section right here, and they're smiling, they're, you know, they're full of pride and and really, and all of us out in the, cr- out in the cr- uh, crowd, uh, us, the church, it's just a cool thing to see. And I just love it because it's a beautiful picture of the gospel and, and, and our community and our church. And so I just always look forward to that every time we do it. I will say this. The only thing that I wish we would do for baby dedication that we don't do is I think we should make Tony hold each baby. He... He kind of keeps his distance. He doesn't want to, you know, create a scene with the, with, the, with the children. But have you ever seen that done? A lot of churches still do that, you know. The, the pastor has to hold the baby and, and talk about the baby and YouTube that. There's some funny stuff online. Uh, I think we would all agree that, you know, it's really hard to concentrate on anything that's being said while there's, you know, that level of, of cuteness on stage. But when the pastor is actually you know, holding the child and also trying to speak to you, I don't know, I think that's it'd be worth the price of admission. I'm sure when Tony listens to this podcast from some beach somewhere, he's going to text me and say, that's a terrible idea, that's never happening. Um, but we'll deal with that later. Anyways, you know, despite the, the, the distracting cuteness on stage, we always try to make clear during our baby dedication something that I think is really, really significant. Um, that, that speaks not just to parents, but to all of us as the church. And it really describes the whole reason for the ceremony. We try to stress that we're not just celebrating a family, a family's dedication to raise their child to follow Christ, though that is a, obviously a big part of it, but it's also a celebration of our church family and our dedication, all of us, each one, to partner together to raise uh, the children that God has put in our care and to teach them and train them up in the way they should go. Just like, you know, Proverbs 22 says. That's what we're called to do. And when we celebrate that, it's, it's more than just cute babies on stage. It's, it's really important. And I remind you of that this morning, not just for the, you know, the humor of it, but because I don't want us to miss what a baby dedication is really all about, namely the celebration that these children should be raised in Christian homes, you know, and, and in, a, in a gospel-centered, discipleship-focused church well, with people praying for them and, and helping raise them to love God and to know Jesus. 
That's how our children should become Christians. They should grow up hearing and learning about Jesus, seeing Jesus in their parents and in the others around them in church. So, so maybe you have children, maybe you don't. You know, it, it, we're all a part of this. And, and parents, Jesus didn't say, I, I, I didn't make this up, I stole this from one of you. He didn't say, go therefore and raise awesome, well-behaved kids. He said to make disciples. That's what each of us are called to do as Christians. Be disciples who make disciples. So those children in our, in our baby dedication ceremonies, they need people to pray for them. They need people to show them the gospel. They need people to battle for them. And that's what I love about our text this morning in Luke. That's exactly what we see. God using people to, to take people from helplessness to grace. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel and, and working in and through us, changing us, saving us, all those things. If you're a Christian this morning, it happened to you. It happened to me. And it's worth celebrating this morning. So, let's, let's finally read our text together. Again, this is Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Will you pray with me? i, I, I got to pray after reading that. God, we thank you so much for your word. We th thank you so much for the life and ministry of Jesus. <sighs> Help us humble ourselves this morning to all the things that this text shows us about your son. God, remove the things that, that I want to see or that I, that I hope to see and simply have your spirit lead and Correct and teach us by your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus heals a paralytic. That's the, the, the headline my ESV Bible gives us for this story in, in Luke chapter 5. And it's, it's tough to complain about the title here, but let me just say right off the bat that there's so much more here than just Jesus healing a paralyzed guy. There's a lot we can learn about Jesus to be sure, but also about ourselves. It's, it's always both, really. 
And so let me set the stage just a little bit. We're going to kind of walk backwards and, and go through this again. I think this is just an amazing story. I love this story. So much is packed in these few verses. So Jesus has been a very busy man in the Gospels. He's been traveling around to uh, village after village, uh, healing many, teaching many more, and his fame is spreading across the land. Huge groups of people are following after him to hear this message and to be healed of sicknesses and, and disabilities. So people all across the, the region are, are hearing rumors of this man called Jesus. Some say he may be the Messiah. You know, he's certainly an inspiring teacher. Um, but they say he's doing miracles, and that's important. He's casting out demons. He's, he's healing people. And that's definitely worth seeing, right? You'd, you'd walk miles to see that. So as the evidence of Jesus' power and authority spreads, the people begin to seek him out. People are saying, let's make the effort to go see Jesus. We've got to see this for ourselves. So when verse 17 starts here, that's exactly what we find. We find Jesus teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know, the, most, the people most threatened by him, have gathered in a home to hear him speak. Now, as you can imagine, these homes probably weren't very big. Luke, he does mention that the religious leaders present were from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, so you know he's hit the big time now. He has the important people's attention. And that's probably interesting to know considering what's about to happen here in just a few minutes. Read with me verse 18 again. And behold... Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. So if you've been to church any length of time, you, you've heard this story. And what a story this is. I mean, a paralyzed man and his friends. We don't know a lot about these guys, and I wish we did. It's one of the things that just drives me crazy sometimes. I, I, I want to know how many friends there were. It doesn't say. It's got to be at least two, maybe four. I kind of imagine, you know, four guys carrying their, their paralyzed friend on their bed. I guess it could have been two. Maybe it was four. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. What's clear is that th th these men cared about one another. You know, they recognized that Jesus was capable of helping their friend in need, and they cared enough to make the effort to carry him where they had found out that he was. It's not a stretch to say that this was a really difficult task that they undertook. I mean, just think, Middle East, hot, rocky, mountainous region, carrying a bed. I mean, they must have traveled a long way because the path to Jesus was blocked by the crowd, and they didn't just say, oh, well, Let's just come back tomorrow. We'll try again later. Rather, we want to believe that, that their, their resolve was so clear, their desire to see their friend healed was so great that they, they, they literally took the house apart to get him inside to meet Jesus. And we see Jesus is impressed with their creativity, so he heals the man, and they all walk home together happily ever after, right? That's the point of the story, right? Not exactly. The real action doesn't start until verse 20. Read that again with me. Verse 20 is where things get crazy. And when he saw their faith, he said, 
man, your sins are forgiven you. Immediately, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, those guys, they've got alarm bells going off in their head. He said, what? He said, what about sins? I mean, who does this Jesus guy think he is, really? You know, nobody forgives sins, but God, this is blasphemy. And Jesus, who, oh, by the way, knows their thoughts before they say it, you know, they don't have to say the words out loud. That's, he says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? And in verse 24, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And I, I've got to, and I got to, I got to finish it. I got to finish it. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I just, I love that ending. I love it. When I watched the families up here for the baby dedication a couple weeks ago, when I was out in the, in the crowd, you know, smiling back at them like we all do, I couldn't help but be struck at what Tony said about our community here at Providence, our, our faith family. Yeah, I was thinking about my, my little niece, Annie, up here. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, our, my little boy coming soon. These children are our responsibility. We all have an active role to play in their growth spiritually. None of them, none of them may have been your children, but they are your responsibility if you're a follower of Jesus and a part of this church along with their families and their, their parents. I will have an influence on those kids, like just like many of you will. Many of you will, will teach them in children's ministry one you know, soon. I hope to teach them in student ministry one day. You'll be in front porch communities and discipleship groups with their parents. You'll have coffee and do Bible studies and hold them accountable. You'll pray for them when they're struggling and encourage them as they parent. I'm encouraged to take and, and take great pride in being a part of that process. And I'll just say, staring being a father right in the face, it's scary. And I I look around at so many of you who do such an awesome job, and I'm just, I think, if there's any way we're going to make it, it's going to be with all of your help. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Do you think I'm kind of making too big a deal out of this? This, this, this? Consider the paralyzed guy and his friends. I've read verse 20 like three times already. But how quick we are to pass up what this says. When he saw their faith. Luke doesn't write, and when he saw his faith. Just think about the massive commotion these guys must have been making. I, I can only imagine what it was like inside the house as, as dust and pieces of the roof were probably falling down on everybody. There must have been, you know, yelling. And then all of a sudden there's this man being lowered into the room. Whoever owned this poor house isn't mentioned. But you can imagine he's not happy. I have to assume that some people are trying to stop these guys from doing this. Again, it just speaks to their dedication to their friend. But as all this is happening, in my mind now, I'm just imagining, amidst the dust and the chaos, my, my mind wants to see Jesus just looking through all of that up 
and at these friends' faces as they're lowering down their buddy. And it says that when he sees, their, he sees them, he sees their faith, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's a huge moment. Huge moment. And it has everything to do with why we're even here today, right now. Jesus explains himself to the professional religious people. Don't misunderstand what's going on there. When Jesus reads their minds and answers them, he's saying, yes, I do have the power to forgive sins because I'm God. Don't let, never let someone tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. It's ridiculous. And everyone is astonished at what they've seen and heard. But let's, let's be clear about one thing. The paralyzed man, he had faith. He had faith in Jesus that he could heal him. And Jesus says, I'll do you one better. The paralyzed man had to have believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was more than just a good teacher. But we must wrestle with the connection between the friend's faith and his sins. Here's where this hits us hard, I think. The friends who took the trouble to carry their buddy to this house and, and, and dismantle this roof and lower him down to Jesus... All of their faith could not save him. All their faith could not save their friend. Your faith can't save me. My faith can't save you. And Paul says in Romans 10 that with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no such thing as being saved by someone else's faith. What a giant error our culture breeds here in the South. It's a giant error. I'm not saved because my grandmother went to church. How often do I hear something like that? And we're not the only ones who do this. So you, you see this everywhere. People say, oh, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic. Or they say, oh, I was, uh, I was baptized when I was eight. Okay. Tell me what you think about Jesus, right? Tell me what you believe about Jesus. You know, what has Jesus done for you that you could not do for yourself? How you answer that question says everything about your faith. That's what you believe in. And no matter what I say or how well I say it, I can't. I can't give you faith. Faith is a gift only God can give. I can't make you believe. I wish I could sometimes, especially when I meet someone, a student especially, who are struggling. But just read this account of the paralytic and his friends and be encouraged this morning that your faith is a huge deal to those around you. I'm sure somewhere along the way, carrying this bed, these four friends probably stopped to catch their breath. And they could have easily said, this is just too hard. This hurts too much. It's too far. Look at the crowd. We'll never get in. We can't do this. They may have said those, they may have thought those things. They may have said them out loud. I don't know. But they, they would not be stopped. 
So this begs the question of you and me this morning. Who are we carrying to Jesus? Your faith can't save them, but it's far from nothing. It might just be the something. Your faith might just be the something that God uses to bring them to himself. If his friends hadn't labored to bring him before Jesus, this man's life would have been so different. We don't know. He may have still believed in Jesus. Maybe not, but he certainly wouldn't have been healed. And think about what God has done with this man's story. I mean, it's in the Bible for crying out loud. Billions of people over the centuries have have read this man's story. Think of the impact these friends' faith have had through the testimony and legacy of one previously paralyzed guy. Think of those babies we just dedicated ourselves to the other day, just a few Sundays ago. Think of that army of small people back in children's ministry right now. Never think, never think, just because faith in Christ is personal between you and the Lord that it it can't have a massive impact on other people. Those precious eternal souls just a few feet away from us right now. We're far too individualistic, I think. That's just my opinion. But our, our independence-loving American you know, minds, it's really backfired on us when it comes to church. That's just my opinion. Sometimes we need others to help carry us where we need to be. Sometimes we need to labor and to fight to get the people we love in front of Jesus. We are the paralytic, you and I, all of us. He was helpless, and so are we in our sin. No amount of wanting to go be healed could have healed him. No amount of wanting to get to Jesus could have carried him there himself. See yourselves in him when we read this story in the Gospels. Think of his friends that carried him. We don't know their names But Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You have these people in your life. If you just look around, that's why this church exists. I tell my students all the time, if you don't have good friends, get new friends. It's that important. We can't do this alone. Ask yourself, are you a good friend? Like we see here in Luke, who am I carrying to Jesus? A disciple makes disciples. Am I just watching as these children grow up and and, and their parents just do their best? Am I just attending church on Sundays idle while other people try to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community? You know, am I actively praying for those who don't yet know Jesus, either because they're young or because they've turned their back on God? These are all questions we need to ask ourselves. There's nothing greater that you can do with your life and help carry someone to Christ. You may never see the results in this lifetime. That's not, it's the hardest thing. That's not our responsibility. We don't get to keep tabs. All we can do is be faithful and love because we have been loved. And I feel like I should say this too. 
we don't get to know how far away from Jesus someone might be. This guy was paralyzed. Getting him to Jesus was hard. It seems a little, it seems more than a little crazy what these guys had to do. But oh, we of little faith, never give up. Never give up on somebody you love. You never know when God will break through. Think of your own rebellious heart. Think of the lengths God had to go to to save you. Don't give up on that person. Don't stop praying. Never, never give up. If I could tell you one thing, is that you and I are here now because generation after generation, for 2,000 years and more, God has been using imperfect people to bring others to himself. Somebody told you. Somebody told them. Make that your reason for being. There are people around you in your life, maybe in this very room, who God has ordained to be here in this time and place so you can help them know Jesus better. Who are you carrying to Jesus? You might just find he's carrying you too. You pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you that when we were paralyzed, when we were dead to sin, you loved us. And you put people in our lives, those of us who, who know you, you put people in our lives who carried us to you. Maybe in a Sunday school class when we were young. Maybe a parent who read us Bible stories before we went to bed. Maybe a friend who shared the gospel with us in college. Maybe a song we heard on the radio. There's a million different ways it happens. But for those of us who are in Christ, we heard. We heard and we knew we were sinners and we needed you. We called on your name and you saved us. God, I pray that's true of everyone in this room. That no one would leave this morning without knowing what it's like to know you and to be loved by you. It's the most important thing in the world. That we would know that all of this life is about nothing more than knowing you and telling others about you. They have to hear. How can they believe if they haven't heard? You've called us all to that great commission in our homes, in our towns, and across this wide globe that we call home, call earth. Send us out. Help us to love you. Help us to know you and help others know you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.